you shall not covet. Now, the word covet isn't in our modern vocabulary. We're more likely to say envy, I'm envious, or I'm jealous, not I'm covetous. Sometimes, though, it's good to reclaim an old word. It attracts our attention and makes us curious. I looked for definitions, contemporary definitions of covetousness, the state of being that the Tenth Commandment addresses. Collins says, a covetous person has a strong desire to possess something, especially something that belongs to another person. The British Collins describes a person who is jealously eager for something. And curiosity led me to an Indian English dictionary. It said covetousness is a strong or inordinate desire of obtaining or possessing some supposed good. Or an excessive desire for riches or money in a bad sense. Now, I wonder what an excessive desire for riches or money is in a good sense, but there you go. You shall not covet your neighbor's house where your neighbor lives. You shall not covet your neighbor's spouse who your neighbor loves, or slave or ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Those things the neighbor needs to make a living, to support a family, and contribute to the community. Now, that's pretty thorough. We, we get it. It's a pretty thorough list, although in our time we might prefer that slave wasn't on the list. The last commandment and the first bookend the Ten Commandments. They're about focus, where we direct our attention, the direction of our lives. And they're also both about coveting. The reminder that God is God, the warning against bowing to other gods or making gods out of wood, stone, or metal. This is important for ancient Israel because they're surrounded by people who bow to other gods and people who seem, well, they seem much more settled and prosperous. People who have a God for every need and swear up and down that their gods answer their prayers. And the Canaanites... Well, their worship is just a whole lot more fun than Israelite worship. Their worship includes dancing, drinking, and even free sex. And we know throughout the Old Testament that old Israel didn't just covet the neighbor's religion, they often stole it from them. The Tenth Commandment is about the supposed good things that we desire, that we idolize in life. It's about whether we live forward or stand still looking to the left and the right and behind. The bookend commandments direct us to a life of awareness. To use one of today's buzzwords, a life of mindfulness. Living mindful of the presence of God. Mindful that God is the source of life and that the earth is filled with the glory of God. Glory we can see if we open our eyes in faith. Focused and mindful of the presence of others, of neighbors, always aware of the ways that we are all connected to one another and also aware that God gives life to all of us and God gives each of us our own life to live. The warning against covetousness, jealous eagerness to take and possess, 
especially what isn't ours, is a call to self-determination, or self-differentiation, rather. And what's that? Well, self-differentiation is most simply defined as knowing where I end and you begin. It's the ability to see my life as enough in itself, and knowing that I don't need what my neighbor has, and my neighbor doesn't have what I really need. A big part of self-differentiation is knowing the difference between need and want. Covetousness is believing that we need everything we want. If I believe my neighbor is wealthy, and I don't believe I am, and maybe by comparison that's true, but that's okay. If my neighbor has just bought a car that's newer and more expensive than mine, I don't have to go out and buy a new car myself as much as I'm impressed by my neighbor's car. If my neighbors are celebrating and I'm going through a tough time, that's okay. I congratulate my neighbors without coveting their happiness. And another big part of covetousness is fear. Fear what we have isn't enough and will never be enough. Fear we're not good enough and the neighbors have more than we do, so therefore they are more than we are. People whose personal boundaries are thin, people who lack healthy self-differentiation, are almost always afraid. They don't know how to live without overlapping and taking on the lives of others. We can so easily become so afraid that we covet our neighbor's peace. And sometimes we even covet our neighbor's sadness, so great is our need to be needed and believe that they need us to be sad with them. But at the heart of covetousness is our addiction to stuff. Life in our part of the world has been largely reduced to a repetitive cycle of produce, possess, consume. And every day we are told the good life, the free life, will be ours if we try really hard to produce, possess, consume as much as we possibly can. We're invited every day to covet, and we're promised that others will covet what we have. Won't that feel good? I try not to look at all the BPAs, you know, the beautiful people ads on the pages of magazines and in newspaper supplements and on bus shelters and billboards and not to mention on TV. I like to think I'm immune to them because I don't believe in the miracles they promise, and they promise us miracles. Buy this, wear that, and you'll be as attractive, fit, and happy as the BPs and the BPAs. Then I went back to India. Now, there is great wealth in India, shared by a growing but still very small segment of the population. So there are some people who can buy and wear what the BPAs push. But the poor, people of modest means, the vast majority are surrounded by BPAs, and many of them are imported from here. Same models, same images. Some are made in India. And what I noticed was that one thing they all have in common 
is that all the BPs and the BPAs have light skin. Now, 200 years ago, our ancestors in faith exported a Western version of the gospel everywhere they went. Today, we and our near neighbors, without even realizing it perhaps, export the new Western gospel of stuff. And people all around the world look to us, they covet our wealth, and they even covet our whiteness. I grew up in a very modest house. We had everything we needed, but I wanted more. We got by, but I was often ashamed. And I believed all our neighbors were so much better off than we were. And some of them were. I coveted big new houses when they started to build them in town. And the luxury and the wealth of, of people who lived in those houses, I just imagined it. And every time I said, out on a walk with my mother, look, look at that, my mother would say, somebody has to wash all those windows. I'm glad it isn't me. That was her way of saying, thou shalt not covet. And I know some of you have had to downsize. So did Janet and I when we moved to Toronto. Downsize, what a word. It's all about size and stuff. But sometimes we cannot avoid the truth that we've spent much of our lives accumulating stuff. It checks our covetousness. Or sometimes we look around and covet the people who have already learned to live with less and enjoy it. Another big part of covetousness is believing a lie. An image that we construct of who or what we covet. We make what we covet more than it can ever be, but we believe that getting what we are jealously eager to get will somehow save us. And that takes us back to the first commandments about recognizing that God is not, or God is God and we are not, and not bowing to idols. And one of the most pernicious forms of covetousness is church envy especially when so many congregations today don't have as many members or as much money as they remember having in the past. And I think a lot of churches fall into the trap of instead of working to be the best, smaller congregation they can be, they sit still and just watch the numbers decline when they're not looking at other congregations and coveting. They have more people on Sunday they have more kids. They have more and better music. Their preacher's popular, and he draws them in by the pew load. I just heard about a whole bunch of churches out west that will share in a big, fat endowment. And I covet. Why can't that happen to us? Well, it can. It takes work. It's possible. But not if we're afraid. We can always learn something from our sisters and brothers in other churches. That's one of the benefits of being part of the church in the world. But when we believe we can only live on if we try to be just like our neighbors, that's covetousness. And it's born out of fear of the future. So congregations, too, need healthy self-differentiation. 
The 10th commandment is all about the supposed good things that we idolize in life. And it's about whether we live forward or stand still looking to left and right and behind us. Amen. Glory to God.